0: Welcome to Real Native Roots, Untold Stories, a podcast by a Native woman with deep roots. A, hello. How are you all, beautiful people? I want to read a poem from a friend of mine who wrote a book of poems by a friend, uh, his name is Rick Abasta, and the name of the poem is AM Radio. So I wanted to just offer this gift to you. Here it goes. Listening to John Cougar Mellencamp on a midsummer's day, I watch Shamasana, is my grandma, I watch Shamasana knead dough and flap out tortillas. Her gold-capped teeth glinted in the sunlight when she smiled. Every day with her was pure joy and happiness. Stepping back and analyzing the big picture, I see the mess of our fractionized family, broken beyond repair and filled with anger. We accuse each other so easily and refuse to compromise. Sometimes you cannot take back past wrongs no matter how hard you try. Flies buzzed around the kitchen and the wood stove crackled, radiating radiating immense heat as Shamasana cooked. Shichay, my grandfather, His chainsaw screamed outside as he prepared for the long winter ahead. We ate sandwiches and dipped pieces of tortilla into baking grease when the pork was all gone. I missed the quiet company of my grandparents. I never got scold for changing the radio station to 80s rock and roll blasting in mono. These days, my family rarely gathers to sit down and share a meal together. We used to meet on Sundays at Shemmasana's house for dinner and games with family. My cousins and I played outside, not returning until we were covered with dirt. Inside, Shemayaja and Daas visited, my aunts and my uncles visited, talked and told jokes. We can hardly stand the sight of each other these days, turning away when we meet in public areas of town. Every day I miss Shamasana and Chiche, and I wish things would change back to the way it was, was. We are happy. We were happy and came to you for guidance because you always make everything all right and keep us safe inside a warm home with good food, love, and the glue of generations past. Mm. I love that poem. And I wanted to read it because um, I known Rick from high school, and I was so excited when he uh, had his book published, and I hope to have him on one day. Anyway, I wanted to just read that to you all. It just really brought memories for me growing up, you know, on the res, living with um, my, my Nully at one point, my, my grandparents on my dad's side. And just the memories of everyone eating around the table and tortillas. You can smell the coffee in the morning. (laughs) Really good memories, you know, when you're home with relatives. So speaking of relatives, I want to introduce to you all uh, uh, my guest today. And he uh, is a very funny man when you really get to know him. (laughs) When I first met him, he was... I felt like he was kind of serious. He probably thought I was serious too. Uh, We've known each other for a couple of years and met in South Dakota with some work out there and through the years have really um, got to know each other. And now we work closely with one another on some work projects. He is an amazing man. And he, I would say that he's very mindful about his, his culture, his community, keeping in mind about our relatives and how we need to continue to engage and do more, to do more for our, our people. He's done a lot of work in um, South Dakota, Montana, up in that area. And he's done work on the ground and also for nonprofits. And now he's working with a larger institution, uh, an intermediary called Enterprise, and his footprint is much larger now in working and advocating on behalf of Native communities. And I would love for you all to meet my friend, my relative, my brother, Dustin Bard. Dustin, welcome, folks.
1: Oh, um, Midakia. So we're such good friends, Vicki. Um, my last name is Dustin Baird. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. That's okay.
0: Oh my god, that's a, that is hilarious. There Don't, you go.
1: But but actually, actually, bard bard is another pronunciation for Baird. Um, Baird is a uh, it's a Scottish last name. Okay. And, uh, actually, so on the history of the the clan Baird, bards are included. So. The tomato tomato there you go <laughs> <laughs> exactly and I, and I wanted to say that was a beautiful poem and it really took me back to my grandparents house you know mm. and a lot of the teachings that were instilled in me at a young age and you know whenever you, you I could just see the layout of the breakfast table when you were describing that um we didn't have tortillas you know, being being from up north, but man, that just took me straight back, just straight back here. Now. my grandparents speak Lakota. You know, just feeling the love. Yeah. You know, as, as a grandkid, you know, just just feel that love of a grandparents' table. You know, it didn't matter if you were eating liver or, or or something way more delicious. There was just always that love that was encompassed around that table, and um, it's really key key for Native families. <clears throat> right so,
0: so
1: yeah absolutely so, yeah thank you so, so thank you for sharing that and um i just want to say thank you for having me on i know that you've had some really good speakers come on in the past including last month's podcast i mean um i was sitting there thinking about you know coming on like right after them you know sherry soe black Elsie Meeks, Lori Puyer, some heavy, heavy hitters in uh, Indian country, you know, some real heavyweights, you know, (laughs) people who bring three women who bring a lot of influence, right? Mm. It was just like, it took me right back to my mother's funeral, when I went up to speak after my older brother, Phil, my older brother, Phil is a master orator who can just stand there and hold everybody's attention in the palm of his hand while he speaks. He's that good. So he gets up during my to speak during my mother's funeral and like the crowd is just like holy smokes after he gets done and I'm included in the crowd right just like wow he did such a great job and then all of a sudden my my uncle who's kind of emceeing the event he calls me up he's like now we're gonna have Dustin Baird I was like oh my god And it was just it was like how do you follow that so it's like the same thing. How do you follow that? Because I've always really looked up to Elsie Meeks. You know, Lori Puer's has done such great things in uh, in Indian country. So it was kind of like the same feeling, right? But um, I just wanted to say thank you for allowing me to come on and, and share a little bit about me.
0: <clears throat> yes, absolutely. And I could hear Cherry and Elsie and Lori say, you do you. You do your own rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you do, you Dustin. Uh yeah, I really enjoyed that podcast. It was I mean, it's just they those women are like major milestones in my life and um and I know that they have influenced a lot of people as well, including mm-hmm. you. And so yeah, I well, I'm excited to have you on and you know, when we have been getting to know each other throughout the years, I just found you such a good storyteller and funny as heck. I mean, like already
1: <laughs> at the I can't
0: believe I goofed up your name, but oh, well, you know, I've been known to mess up names. So let's, let's actually, and I, I'm glad that you enjoyed the poem because it, it does resonate. I think for a lot of folks, you know, when life was simple, you know, it just being around, right. Talking and just communicating and mm-hmm. just telling story. And, not worried about, I got a meeting to go to, or distracted with the phone. Just being truly present. So I'm glad that you enjoyed the poem. So why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself and where you're from. I know you told us a little bit about your name, uh, your your family, your roots. Um, tell us a little bit about your people and, and your family, and where did Dustin come from?
1: <laughs> oh, um. I've, you know, I'm just really fortunate. I'm really fortunate to come from a very traditional family that that has deep roots in tribal history. Um, so we'll start out by saying that I'm an enrolled member of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe. But I spent the majority of my life on the Pine Ridge Reservation in the Porkman community. And the reason for that is my, after the Battle of Bighorn, my great-great-grandfather, Chief Iron Cloud, him and his band, when they returned to the reservation, they settled in what is <clears throat> what is now the porcupine community. And he checked on to the reservation, um, I can't remember exactly what, what month it was, but anyway, he checked on to the reservation with three wives, six or seven children, and 13 horses. And this is recorded in a book called Little Crazy Horse Registrar. So you can find the information there. <clears throat> and um since that time, our family has played key roles in our tribe throughout its history, you know, from the Battle of Little Bighorn to Alcatraz to Wounded, and even Standing Rock. And a lot of a lot of times in between, you know. So I come from I come from a family who has um, been able to lend a hand in in the tribe's course you know um so like my mom she w- she went to alcatraz when I, she was out in the bay area mm-hmm. during that time and and uh alcatraz ha- ha- happened so she got she went out there to lend her support right and right after that was wounded knee and my uncle Roger and my uncle Manuel and other family members were uh were involved in that. My Uncle Roger, he was on the, my Uncle Roger Iron Club was on the wall outside. He was keeping the feds and the goons at bay, you know, with shootouts. <laughs> and my Uncle Manuel, he was down in the bunker typing up letters to you know, congressmen, senators, newspapers, what have you. He was admin staff. And then since then, <clears throat> you know, like my Uncle Paul, he done a lot of really good things with housing and, um, my cousin Scott, Scott Weston, who was who was uh the tribal chair for the Ogalo who tribe during the during the standing the during the standing rock movement. And my cousin Arlo who at Arlo Iron Cloud who who did a lot of reporting and gained a huge following for you know his reporting from the camp. So I'm just I'm just really, really fortunate <clears throat> to come from this this rich history. And um, when I think about it, I'm, my mother, my mother, who was a, a really, really big influence on me, as a matter of fact, all the females that I grew up with in my in my family were big influences on me mm. because um, in Lakota families, I'm not sure about every tribe, but in Lakota families, like the firstborn grandson is really doted on, right? So... So I was really doted on by my grandmother, my aunts, and my mother, so it made me it made it really easy for me to develop relationships with with you know with the females just because I had this huge influence on me this huge female- influence on me, and they were all really strong women right so i have I have no problem meshing with strong women such as yourself and, and you know your team um so i i also view that as an advantage advantage here in life um and i'm i'm really thankful for that influence early on in life and i'm thankful that you know my mom made sure that i knew my history where i came from you know what our values are supposed to be so speaking of those values um my mom was in, when when my mom was pregnant with me. She was out in Boulder, right? She was out. She's out in Boulder, and um, when it came time to come and have me, it was like it was like um, right after right after the occupation of Wounded Knee, when tensions were really racial tensions were really strong in uh, South Dakota, North Dakota uh, Colorado, the surrounding states. So it was really important to her that. That I was, uh, I was born in Pine Ridge, right? <laughs> and when she told me about how basically her and, her and her sisters loaded her up and drove me back, back through Colorado, Nebraska, taking side roads so they wouldn't have to deal with the highway patrolmen, highway patrol getting pulled over, whatever, you know, basically smuggling me back to Pine Ridge so I could be born on the reservation. <clears throat> She she was telling me this story and I, and I was like, Mom, you had <laughs> you had modern technology at your fingertips with hospitals, you know, the latest hospital technology. Why would you take me back <laughs> to to Pine Ridge, you know, to this antiquated hotel that had a that with IHS has a history of, you know, just bumblings, bumblings when uh, it comes to the treatment of our relatives. And um, shortcomings, I should say, not bumbling, just shortcomings. Um, <clears throat> and her response was, it was really important for me that you were born where your people come from. Mm. You know, so I've, I've always taken that to heart. You know, and I really credit my mom with a lot of my uh, my Lakota pride, my uh, <clears throat> my loyalty to my people. Because she really, she instilled that in all of us at a very young age. About you know, she told us what the actual history was, what our family played a part in. You know where we were at. So, so having this, you know, I've I've always held that close to my heart. And um, even like um, even with my family's great, my, my family's history of service to the tribe. You know, starting with uh, Chief Ironcloud at the bad of Little Bighorn, and even before that, we could go down we could go down a rabbit hole with with those stories. But long story short, I grew up seeing like a lot of really strong people come out of my family mm-hmm. and really give back to our tribe. But <clears throat> I thought that that path was already forged. You know, and and to follow in those footsteps would be good, but it would it wasn't as difficult, you know. And I kind of wanted wanted a challenge, so I left the reservation and um, I went out into into that world just to create my own path. So I la- so I landed in the world of telecom, you know, wireless telecom, cellular construction, and I started doing these AT and T buildouts, right. And uh, so I started building a lot of towers, and honestly, that that industry is pretty much where I found out who I was, you know. And it kind of made me the person I am right now when it comes to, uh, come to comes to showing up at work. You know, I'm armed with that old those old traditional values and this sense of urgency when it comes to getting things done. And the only way that I, I could, well, let me rephrase that. I'll give all credit to success in that in that industry to my to my grandfather Eddie Ironclad and to my father Raymond Baird. Both of them really pushed me to be, you know, a strong worker, not a hard worker, but a strong worker, somebody who would show up on time, give uh, give one hundred percent during you know during work hours and just get things done but get not only get things done but get things done well my grandfather was such a <laughs> I, I don't know if ocd would apply to him but if there ever was somebody who was who was the epitome of quality control i would say it was him and my father because there were plenty of times where I had to redo things. <laughs> you know, you had to redo things. Why? Because, you know, grandfather's grandfather. Dad's dad. And they put the food on the table. So <laughs> you want to eat, you better do things right. Um, so so I, I get started in, the, in this um, this industry, and it's pretty much just, you know, 24-7. There's always a need. You're working for carriers. And uh, I succeeded in this environment, right? <clears throat> the, um, I, I went from doing the construction to actually jumping on the other side of the fence and doing doing the management, you know, working for, I I, I started working for a company called General Dynamics. General Dynamics is the number one defense contractor in the world, right? So um, I started out as a contract employee which a lot of people are. And within nine months, within nine months, I went from a contract employee to a regional manager within General Dynamics, which is a huge feat, huge feat. And um, you know how we have this this lateral violence within Native communities. You know, somebody starts doing good, all uh, you know, the, the, the crowd that they're usually running with kind of turns on them. You know, we see that story a lot. And People say, "Oh, it's the crabs in the bucket syndrome. It plagues native communities everywhere." Well, I can tell you, it's not just—it's <laughs> just—it's not just native communities, because here I was, I was the only—I uh, was the only Native American, one of the one of the only minorities in this in this group, right? And I went—I went past these guys who had been contract employees for seven, eight years. And that was good money being a contract employee. You made, you made a lot of money. But the benefits that General Dynamics had, just, just, such as the healthcare, the retirement, and just, you know, being a General Dynamics employee in general, really, really furthered not only your career, but your position in life. So when I did this in nine months, I didn't go to being just a... Uh, an employee, I went to being a regional manager. So everything west of the Mississippi, when it came to um, AT&T sites, T-Mobile, Verizon sites, fell underneath me, right? So I had eight managers and it was a huge step for me, right? Just this huge step. And uh, <clears throat> in this, we did a few things. Like we've, we totally changed how we approached site construction, you know, not single site construction, but construction of sites nationwide. And uh, we actually, you know, we we were talking about partnerships the other day and we developed a partnership, a closer partnership with AT&T than most of the other uh, turf vendors did. So we worked, me and my team, we worked very closely with the, uh, the operations of AT&T to get a, uh, a single list of uh, requirements to, for a site, like a cellular site, a cellular tower with the, with all the communications equipment on it that were installed by the crews, you know, a single checklist to say, okay, this is good, this is good, this is good. Site's passed, contractor gets paid, right? So we, we totally changed that to where all the, all the other turf vendors got on board and and complied because AT&T said, well, General Dynamics, this is awesome. This is what we're going to go by. And that was huge. That was huge in the telecom world, right? So I'm sitting there, you know, I'm sitting there thinking about this. I'm like, okay, this is amazing. This is amazing. And all of a sudden, people are looking at me as a leader within General Dynamics, right? And that was, for me, that was a big accomplishment because when I first got there, I, I was like when I first got to general dynamics as a contract employee, there were I was put into a field of lions. Right. Everybody was good. Everybody was good at their job. And and the director, the national director of all the construction, he was he was just a warrior. Like his emails would stop a little after two in the morning. And they would pick back up right around 5 (laughs) a.m. So he kind of set the tone and everybody was trying to like fit into that. Anyway, I was able to fit into that and people looked at me as their peer. And now after we got this AT&T deal done and we got, you know, that checklist in and the quality manual, like, okay, these, the quality manual took us about a year. And basically what this, it was, here's how you install an AT&T site. If you install an AT&T site per this manual, your site will pass every time. So we totally changed the game, right? And people are looking at me as a leader. Then we hit the Minnesota Northern Plains market. And South and North Dakota were included in this market. And guess what was on <laughs> that market, the map of that market? All the reservations in South and North Dakota. And shortly before this, before we started working on this, well, this market had, the construction had already started and me and my team were coming in to start inspecting. Right. So we, we found out ahead of time that this, this market was going to happen. And in our, in our, um, we were headquartered in, um, Needham, Needham, Massachusetts. That's where, that's where our office was headquartered at. And, um, Anyhow, uh, something particularly weird happened in Needham. The the E911 network went down. E stands for emergency 911. So that's your cellular network, right? So it goes down. And people, so for four hours, people are calling and trying to get it, you know, report their emergencies. And they were landing like two counties away. So it was complete chaos for four hours. And uh, it just really... Really exposed, you know, the lack of 911, you know, what that meant, the seriousness, you know, <laughs> the seriousness. You can just imagine that on your own. So, seeing that catastrophe, that chaos, I was thinking to myself, <clears throat> if that happens on the reservation, you know, we're in a lot of trouble because a lot of times grandparents of, and grandpa- grandparents and grandkids live together. You know, so there's there's that dynamic, and I I was thinking about that dynamic, and I was like, "Man, that that can be that can be catastrophic to families." So when we approached this this Minnesota Northern Plains market, I got together the best contractors that I had, right the the ones who who routinely put out the best sites, right, the best work, the highest quality. So I took that group and I spread out the, I spread out the um, the sites, the reservation sites to them to ensure that we would have the best installs on our reservations in the Dakotas. And we were very successful. I remember, <clears throat> I remember actually inspecting uh, the AT&T site below the old hospital in Pine Ridge and just being amazed like, Oh my God, I mean these the installs of the equipment were so pretty. They could have been on a postcard and that, so I was very happy, you know, I was kind of patting myself on the back thinking, okay, I was finally able to give back to Indian country. Like my family has for, for decades, you know, for generations. So I was, I was really proud of myself. And then um, about that time, <laughs> I, I'm really getting into social media and I see, you know, the NCAI and all these other people working in Indian country, impacting Indian country, right? And so my victory was was kind of short-lived because I started thinking to myself, you know, you put, you put, you're put putting like 90 hours a week, sometimes 100 hours a week into, into this work. And it's great and all, and you're doing really good. You've got great health insurance. You know, you're you're on a you're on a national level. But what if you took your what if you took your your talents and you actually applied them just to working for Indian country? And so I sat there kind of like feeling feeling a little empty. Mm. You know. Because all of a sudden there was the reality that, yeah, you're doing good work, but, you know, what could you be doing for your people that would have more of an impact, more of a benefit for the future generations, right? So I sat there with that for, for a few years. And, um, anyhow, just through, you know, creator's plan, Tungashu's plan, um, my mother, my mother, who has been a, a huge inspiration in my life um she she had gotten sick right, and all these years, I had been on the road you know I, I stop in here and there during my different tours of duties and say hi but um she had gotten sick like she was diagnosed with terminal cancer, and <clears throat> I didn't know what to do but <laughs> so happens that I was trying to help the Native American Development Corporation find a procurement specialist on the Pioneer's Reservation. You know, and they had been advertising for about six months. They couldn't find anybody. So they, um, through conversation, I was like, yeah, I'd love to help you find somebody. That that position will probably do some real good on our reservation. So let me see if I can't find anybody. And uh, <clears throat> Whenever my mother got sick, I turned around and I asked them, I was like, hey, do you mind if I take that position? They're like, what do you know about procurement? <laughs> I'm like, absolutely nothing. I said, but I work really hard and um, I'm halfway smart enough to pick up some things. So if if you give me this job, I promise I'll, I'll work really hard. So <clears throat> anyhow, they, they, they brought me in for an interview and uh, I wowed them. And I started working. I started working in Indian country, and I was and I was really, really. I can't say thank you enough to them, because I was able to be there while my mother, you know, got ready to make her journey and made her journey. So that time was pretty special for me. But what it also gave me the opportunity opportunity to do was to work in Indian country, you know, through economic development. Mm-hmm in the area, in the arena of government contracting. And um, <laughs> I was housed out of Lakota Funds in Pine Ridge, South Dakota, and Kyle, South Dakota, I should say, on the Pine Ridge Reservation. And that's really where <clears throat> I got, got introduced to working in Indian country. And we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun. Um, and the nice thing was is I got to work on all nine different reservations. So... Yeah, we won a few contracts and we, we just we kinda of changed the narrative. You know? I remember like my cousin like and it was really fun to help cousins, help relatives, you know. Um one thing that I saw at Lakota Funds was that they were actually impacting lives, you know, lives on the reservation. So every time that I would go into work at Lakota Funds, it felt like, you know, we were all going there with something, to be part of something bigger, to change, you know, change lives, change the narrative for the next generation. And for me, that was the juice. You know, I left Denver and I left Denver with a blessing, with a blessing of my girlfriend. (laughs) She said, yeah, you you go be next to your mom. And then she, she got, you know, she got caught up in the momentum of uh, helping on the, of me helping helping different different companies on different reservations. And we both had a very similar mindset about, <clears throat> about working on reservations because, you know, she created the American Indian Academy of Denver. Three to four, four to seven groups before her have tried to, get a native charter school started in Denver, but they, they just weren't able to for one reason or, or another. And she was, her and her group were successful, right? So both of, you know, both of our our energies were being put into bettering Native America. So she was completely supportive. and So I had the support from back home, and it was, it was kind of tough because I spent two weeks on the road in South Dakota. I'd come back for a weekend to Denver, you know get back by Monday morning and time for work, so I was definitely a road warrior, and because she was so busy creating the school, it just kind of worked out you know so that's that's where I got my intro into working in an in Indian country, and i i can I can only say that I look back at my time with the n a d c with really fond memories because. That's actually where I created my network. <clears throat> and I was able to, to it actually got me this position here at Enterprise, Enterprise Community Partners. And um, Enterprise is one of four housing intermediaries that goes between, you know, giving out the grants and HUD. HUD gives us after their budget, they give us their 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 monies and, and we make awards specifically specifically through section four granting. But being on this side now, being on the funding side, I've talked with uh, Native nonprofits, you know, people who are reservation-born and raised, such as myself, nonprofit directors. And I've I've been told, Dustin, we need you there. You know, somebody who is just like us, reservation-born and raised, we need you there because we haven't had that voice. We haven't had that voice on that side yet. So once again, you know, I'm I'm just really privileged. When I think about it, I think about my work history. I've been so blessed. I mean, just really blessed with some cool positions, able to actually change lives. And I mean, even speaking... Uh, Even even before uh, before working in Indian country, I mean, you think about the nine one one networks and the reliability and cell phones. We did a lot of work to further that agenda to make it a make it a lot uh, a lot more reliable. So I'm sitting here on this side on this side and just thinking about the possibilities, and I'm really using this position as a voice, you know, as a voice for for uh those who those who normally weren't heard in the past and also to take the voice of the powerful nonprofit CDFIs and tribal housing or not nonprofit tribal housing authorities, but just our partners in Indian country, my partners, the partners that I grew up with and around, to amplify their voices. And um I don't know, I mean you and I worked together on on a few on a few items. Since I joined enterprise, so I don't know how you would see it, but <clears throat> that's what I'm trying to do.
0: Well, I love how you what what struck me in terms of hearing your story is that moment of time when you stop to reflect like I want to do more like and my work right now you know you are, you are giving back, right, but you seen all the native leaders and what they're doing really set you um, where you're at now, right, in terms of wanting to learn, jumping in, taking risks, I love your vulnerability of like I don't know, but i I, I can do it you know I, I feel that that is a lot of times um I feel like a lot of us are in those places where we don't know I mean, I'll use this example of the podcast like I don't know, I didn't know anything about it and I'm still learning and, you know, playing with it. And I think when we jump in and play and want to learn and want to grow and stretch and also get over our ego in the sense of like, you know, thinking that we are, right? Like we've reached that point. I don't think we ever will. I think in this journey of life, we're always going to be learning up to our last breath, you know? And so I love the fact that you also said, like, I'm a res born, right? Res, raised, born. Um, and, and that you, you worked for, for a for-profit company and made it through that. And through your network there, um, being home on the res, that was an advantage for that company. And, and now um, those skills are helping you in, in your role uh, so I love all of that. I think it's great. And I'm hoping that it inspires other other folks. Uh, in your journey, in your journey up to this point, I know that you, your mom was a big influence. She raised you. You're around a lot of men uh, and relatives and that were very culturally grounded. And throughout, throughout the course of your life, did you stay engaged in cultural activities like going back home for ceremony and having ceremonies for yourself? Because The reason why I ask that is, you know, when I left the res, you know, uh, my, my mom and my dad made it a point, like, you need to come home, like, on the weekends or, you know, certain times of the year for ceremony to help and participate or even for myself. And, you know, it's easy to disconnect when you're away from relatives and family. And so did you stay culturally grounded throughout? And, you know, does that continue to be a part of your life? as you do this work?
1: Oh, absolutely. <clears throat> as you asked me that, it takes me right back to my mom, right? I remember when I was in General Dynamics, right? I was constantly on the road, you know, hotels, plane flights, just, <laughs> you know, restaurant living. I mean, you, 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 know the, you know the routine. So my mom's following me on Facebook, <laughs> and she reaches out to me. She says, you know, you should call your spirit back. I... I see you in airports all the time and I'm just thinking that, you know, as you get up in those planes and you're flying all the time, I'm, I'm just, I just can't help but think that your spirit is probably still walking around in the Houston airport. I was <laughs> <It's> just like, <laughs> I was just like, okay, mom, you know, but I saw her point and it reminded me of this old, this old story about Billy Mills and, and grandpa Frank fool's probe about how, you know, he told Grandpa Frank, you know, I'm always around people, but I always feel lonely. I always feel lonely. And Grandpa Frank said, you know what, you're always in airplanes, you're always traveling, your feet never touch the ground because you're always walking around in cities in shoes. You're always walking on concrete. So you need to come home and call your spirit back. You know, so I always remembered, that, and yes, um, I uh, I actually run back i run back and i sweat with my family and it gives me you know it it realigns my focus and it just it just it powers me it rejuvenates me to stay to stay inside that uh inside that circle
0: i love that story that um your grandpa frank is that him mm-hmm. yeah it it makes so much sense i i know that um I re- I heard or watched a video, and you know people are really trying to encourage. The, I think they call it grounding. Like you go out and stand in the sand, like connect, right? And when you think about it, you know traditionally our shoes were, you know, moccasins or no feet, like right? no no shoes, no feet, no shoes, and we we were very connected to the earth to keep us very grounded and. You know, now that we have souls, rubber soles, we, our feet can't feel, you know, the, the earth. And so I, I love, I love that.
1: When you think about it, like we've been telling, we've been telling Western society, we've been, we've been giving them these teachings. And if you think about like the movie Avatar, there's a point in there when they're, they're going towards home tree and the guy, and they're trying to warn the guy in charge, Hey, listen, you're, you're you're going to run over something really sacred here and it's, it's, it's irreplaceable. You shouldn't do this. And the guy says, you know, you throw a stick at something, you're going to hit something sacred. This is, this, you know, this is, this is crap, This, you know, for lack of a better word, but you know, we've, we've been telling, you know, before we gather, we're, we're going to smoke, we're going to smudge. And now all of a sudden Western science is like, smudging clears bacteria out of the air. It's a really good thing to do, you know? And then we tell them, we've been telling them, we're all related, you know, we're related to the earth. And the Soviet space program program proved that, you know, they had, whenever lightning strikes the earth, it creates this, um, this wavelength. And our bodies need that to survive. So we had these, these people, these cosmonauts who were training for months in like, um, anti-gravity chambers simulating being up in space anyway so they finally send one up into space and he's out there for a little while all of a sudden his body's not doing so good so they bring him back and they couldn't figure out why anyway they figured out you know when the lightning strikes the earth it creates this wavelength much like a wi-fi wavelength right but our bodies need that wavelength. So they recreated that up in the space center up there and, and other cosmonauts are doing fine. So Western technology or Western science is finally catching up to indigenous, indigenous science, indigenous teachings. And yeah. yes, we very much, yeah. And, and grounding, grounding. I have a grounding mat of my own because why? I spend too much time indoors. As a matter of fact, my feet are on the grounding mat right now.
0: <laughs> so, um, I can't believe it's already at um a point where we need to wrap up in a bit. But before we do that, I really, you know, want you to share um, you know, in in a in a succinct way, but I just think it's important and that your your experience, your journey with Dakota 38. I remember oh. you telling me about that and if you can just talk a little bit about that, because I feel like that's connected to culture. It's connected to spirit. You know, it's connected to, you know, yourself, right? Like finding yourself, because I feel like that's a theme of your story of like, you know, how to f- find my own path. And, uh, you know, we're still doing that. But if you can tell us a little bit about that, and then then we'll start to wrap up.
1: Okay. Thank you for reminding me about that. Yeah. So on my own journey, like you said, you know, I, I broke away, decided to forge my own path. All of a sudden, you know, like spirituality, my the, my, my spirituality really, um, I, I got frustrated with it for lack of better terms. So I decided to become an atheist, right? So I was okay, no more, no more religion. I'm just going to be be an atheist. So I took my cultural values. You know, like, like being a good person, wanting to have compassion for others. I took those cultural values. And I can't help it. I say it every time, but this is going to sound corny, like really cheesy. But while I was working for General Dynamics, I started doing this, right? And and this really contributed to a lot of my success there was that I started doing affirmations in the mornings, right? Like before I go out, I'd look at myself in my hotel room in in my mirror and I would tell myself, you know, you're going to be the best Dustin Baird possible, you're going to be the hardest worker. You're going to be um, the best relative, you you know. So I I would say these affirmations in the morning and all of a sudden my life just blossomed. And this is around the time whenever I started catching momentum. And I I was actually promoted to that regional manager. So out of the blue, um, the Dakota 38, right, Um, that, that comes up. And my uncle Jim Miller, it was his dream, so I kind of felt of like an obligation to go there because in high school I wanted to go on the Bigfoot ride, but every year I was playing in the Lakota Nation Invitational Rapid City, which was held at the very same time, so I was never able to go. So it was kind of like a bucket list thing. So me and my atheist self, we went, we went to this uh, this ride, and I hadn't rode a horse since I was probably about fifteen, fifteen years old, maybe sixteen, maybe. And uh, I just knew that it was going to be, it was going to be a challenge, and I was up for the challenge. So I get on the back of this horse, Mr. Gus High Eagle of Lower of Sioux Valley, Sioux Valley, Manitoba, loaned me this horse called Cochise. And me and Gus we became really close friends before he passed on. So I, the very first day of the ride, I joined up in Lower Sioux, Minnesota, and it's it's December twenty second, and. It was like I can't remember what year it was, but the snow is coming down. It's blowing sideways, and the roads are slick, and it's just blizzard-like conditions. So I get on the back of this horse, and we start out. We start out going down, going going down the path. And what the Dakota Thirty Eight ride is, is it's an honoring for the thirty eight Indians who were hung, the thirty eight Sioux Indians that were hung in Mankato Town Square, and. So the, the military marched them from what is currently Lower Sioux, Minnesota, to, the, to Mankato, and they hung them in the town square. So from the 22nd to the 25th, we ride, we ride into Mankato, right? And on the 26th, we ride into the town square to the area where they hung them. So so there's a lot of cultural significance. We, we begin this ride the very first day, my very first day of the ride, And my Uncle Jim, his horse goes down as soon as it hits the asphalt. It slips, boom, smashes his knee. And I'm just thinking to myself, what did you get yourself into? (laughs) Because like I said, I had not rode a horse in well over a decade. But we get on that ride, and you should look at this, for all those out there listening, if you haven't seen the Dakota 38 Plus 2 documentary, it's free on YouTube. And it's won a lot of film festivals. Um, awards at film festivals throughout throughout the world, but in there, um, Mikey Peters he talks about connecting like how you as a person connect all the all the directions, the seventh directions, right? And it can only be done in the back of a horse. And how he explains it is the four legs are symbols for the four directions: west, north, east, south. The tail points down to the direction of Unchi Makah, Mother Earth, Grandmother Earth. The head points up towards the heavens to where the Wambi Gleshka, the spotted, the spotted eagle, takes your, takes your prayers after you make them to the grandfathers. And you yourself, on the back of that horse, complete the seven directions. And that's the only way you can do it. That's the way it's explained in there. That's the way um, members of the Ocheti Sha they view it. So I get on the back of this horse, and I just couldn't stop praying. As they, when I got there, they were talking, like, the, the people that, the members that were already part of the ride, they talked about the ride as ceremony. You know, this isn't just to ride a horse. You know, this is ceremony. And whenever I got on the back of the coaches, that horse that was long to me, and I completed that seventh direction, all of a sudden, I couldn't stop praying. I mean, I prayed for four days straight and there was no shortage of prayers. <laughs> I didn't even have to try. It was like I had this backlog filled up from being an atheist. <laughs> <But> anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, um that that was the end of my atheist days. That ride brought me right back to my cultural center. And um I haven't left.
0: Yes. Thank you. I really wanted you to tell that story because I just think it's so powerful. And and you guys are writing in winter. It's not oh, not a. My... It's not well,
1: I'll, a... T- I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. Um, whenever I saw my uncle Jim go down, you know, I was like, "Holy smokes, what are you doing here?" But there was these. I, I think there was five of them. There were four, five Native girls between the ages of around maybe twelve and fourteen. And it was their first time riding and they had come from some boarding school and some non-natives had brought them because it was really important that these girls be on this ride. It was almost like, you know, they had to do it. It was like a dream or something. And they were just back there just laughing, just having fun. They were so happy to be on the ride. And like you said, the, these were winter-like conditions. And the wind was, like, at times, it felt like it was at 30 miles an hour because it was just, like, your skin, the skin of your face felt like it was cracking. And as a matter of fact, some grown men turned around, they were, and they, they just stopped. They, they um, put their horses in the trailer, and they just gave up. But those little girls behind me, the whole time, they just had fun. So I used them as strength. You know the prayers and just their energy and their commitment to the ride, their commitment to their people you know it it gave me the strength to to uh complete that ride so i I can't remember their names i have their I have their pictures on my Facebook, but I remember them all the time and i and I continue to say prayers for them because I don't know, I probably would have finished, but it was finished the ride all four days I mean it was so brutal but it was a lot easier to finish, you know, seeing them and them giving me strength.
0: Thank you. Dustin. thank you so much for sharing your story. I, I really appreciate you offering opportunities, potential, you know, for for listeners that are um, hearing your story about, you know, the family that you have, uh, the leaders that are within the family and also just sort of finding your way, finding your path and, you know, and how much passion you have for our native communities and how much you want to continue to do more. And that, you know, how, how culture brought you back, you know, brought mm-hmm. you back to yourself and, and to stay grounded. Any final thoughts that you want to share with the listeners?
1: Um, basically I've been writing this, um, I've been writing this blog post that turned into a, an actual dissertation, <laughs> but all on the historical, the, you know, the historical events of housing. And one thing that's been exposed to me is that this, the system of the United States that we're all living in, we weren't part of the plan, you know, from the Dawes Act that said, you know, we're going to assimilate you and you're going to, you know, kill the Indian, save the man. You can, you're going to get assimilated so just have so have empathy for your relatives because you're all succeeding in a system that wasn't designed for you it was actually designed to make you fail so just be good to each other be a good relative
0: i love that and you heard it from dustin himself we are all <laughs> a part of the plan so thank you so much dustin this has been a delight and i know this is not goodbye we'll see each other in other spaces of work. So, thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Becky. Appreciate you.